0: Okay, so I never have introductions. Like, I just, I'm really, really bad at doing any sort of thing that, like, ties in. I'm not a movie buff. Like, Tanner's a lot better at the movie references than I am. However, one just came, like, five minutes ago, so I, I've got it. We'll see. I don't know if you guys watched this TV show once upon a time. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Eh. Bryn and I have been watching that a little, um, off and on. Um, over the past couple months. And what we've seen, I, I was thinking about it just a couple minutes ago, was once upon a time basically car- fairy tale characters in real life. They didn't know their fairy, char- fairy tale characters, now they know their fairy tale characters, and a long, crazy story. So, what we see is that there's Evil Queen, there's people that are the villains of the fairy tales, there's the, then there's Snow White, there's Prince Charming, there's these people that are the good characters. And so far, I'm so, we just started season three last night. So if you're past that, and I'm saying things that are false, it's just because I don't know. But the people that are bad, no matter how hard they try to be good, the evil always comes out. Queen tries to be good, tries to be good, tries with external actions to be good. As soon as she squeezed, the evil comes out. Every time. Same with the Same with the good characters. When they're squeezed, the good comes out. They make the choices that, that, they, that, that are the good. And I think that's true. I think that's true of us, that no matter how hard we try to be good, no matter we, how hard we try with our external actions to change or to just do the right things, we can't do good unless we are changed. Because with, with the same heart... That's not something we can change. The evil queen is evil. And there's a lot in that show with, with hearts. And I think we're going to see that Jesus is going to say the external, your change through external actions is not the goal here. This exter- is the change through anything external. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And we've kind of been saying this all through Matthew. And I think we're going to see that that change, that heart change, is not something we do ourselves. So we're going to finish up Matthew 14. We're going to go into 15 here. I'm just going to recap just a little bit about where, recap Jesus' last 24 hours or so. Jesus kind of, we saw that he heard that Herod was thinking all these things and then thinking all these things that like he's John the Baptist raised from the dead and Jesus withdraws to an area um, to be by himself. The crowds, the crowd we saw was at least 15,000 people, um, could be more, are there. They're seeking his healing and in his compassion, he does that. Even though he was trying to be, go off by himself, he still heals them with his compa- because he has compassion for them. Regardless of their motives, regardless of why they came to him, he heals them. He challenges his disciples to feed them. Obviously they say, we can't do that. Jesus feeds these people with the very little bit that's in front of him. He sends the the disciples away. He sends the people away. He withdraws from the area. He says he goes off by himself to pray. Then he walks out to his disciples on the water. They're freaking out. He 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 empowers Peter to to walk out to him. He saves Peter when Peter fails. And then he calms the storm. Very quick recap. Very, very quick recap. But what we see is that today they've landed again. So him and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples, have landed on the um called the land of, I'm gonna just say it confidently, Genesaret. If it's wrong, I'm sorry. But what happens? He, he lands there and it says the people... I haven't actually read the verses yet, have I? Um, we're going to read Matthew 34 through... Or Matthew, there's no Matthew 34. Matthew 14, 34 through 36. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. And when the pe- men of that land recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. So this whole scenario seems very similar to um, last week. Jesus lands, gets off the boat, the people of the area hear about him, they come and they want to be healed. They want to be healed from their diseases. And what we see is that, again, regardless of their motive, regardless of if they were just there for his physical healing, Jesus healed them. Also, regardless of their motive, they at least had the faith that Jesus could heal them. I mean, they're just trying to touch him. They're just asking. And they implored that he would allow them just to touch him because they, they knew. I don't know if they had heard of the lady with that nasty blood discharge that we talked about a while back. I think it was Matthew 8, maybe. Um, I don't know if they had heard about that, but all they, they knew all they needed to do was touch him and they would be, they would be made well. And I think we continue to see that Jesus is more concerned about these people. He's more concerned about them than he is about we saw last week about even more concerned than his alone time, even more concerned about doing other good things. But a lot of what we're gonna to see today is that Jesus is more concerned about people, about doing things that glorify his father than he is by any sort of Jewish tradition, any sort of Jewish law, any sort of thing that um, people were adding in. Because for Jesus to heal these people, as, he's, as they're coming into contact with him, according to Jewish law, they would have been unclean. I don't remember exactly um, where we talked about this in Matthew, but I think it's something we're going to see today, that Jesus... Coming in contact with something unclean does not make Jesus unclean. What we continue to see is that Jesus makes the unclean clean, and I think we're going to see that a couple different ways today. Let's keep going. We're going starting Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. I'm just going to pause before we read any farther. actually. Um, so, there's, there's going to seem to be a lot of Pharisee bashing that kind of goes on today. Jesus is really going to call the Pharisees for a couple different things. He's going to call them some not-so-nice names. And I want to, I want to say like, that, that, that is what Jesus is doing. Like, He's not pulling any punches. He's not not saying things that are true. He's not going easy on them. He's he's calling them hypocrites because their actions are very different, their their hearts are very different than what they're trying to display through their actions. But another thing is I don't want to I don't want us to be in a place where we somehow think that Jesus is calling out the Pharisees without trying to be very clear to his disciples and also being very clear to us that this is not where we need to be. He's gonna, What we see is that they're so hooked on these traditions, they're so hooked on external things, trying to change, trying to modify behavior, that their hearts are so far from God. And I don't want that to be us. These Pharisees that had come from Jerusalem would have been the best of the best. They would have been the, the head honchos, so to speak. Like not only are they Pharisees, but they're from Jerusalem. They're from this main center. And listen to what they say. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Like they don't, they're not even trying to hide the fact. They don't even say why your disciples. Breaking God's commands. They don't even say that. They say, why are your disciples breaking the commands of the elders? Like, you see, you see the air right there. So I did a little research about what this tradition of the elders, what, what was that? And, and in Jewish tradition, Jewish culture, basically what they believed is that after giving the law to the people, Moses kind of entrusted this to the elders of Israel, the elders of the land, and said, and kind of gave them responsibility to enforce the law, I guess. And they were given these three things to do with it. They were supposed to study the word, study the law. So they were able to like, rightly interpret this and rightly apply it. Okay, number one seems pretty good. Number two, they were training up disciples. They were training up people that could then teach the law to the next generation. Pretty good. Good idea. But then they were also instructed to build this figurative wall around the law to make sure that the people didn't break the law. They were so concerned about not breaking the law that they they surrounded it. They wanted to insulate it with all these other things to make sure that God's law wouldn't be broken. I think that's where they go wrong. They get so caught up in adding to the law the people are, don't even know what the law is anymore because they've added so much to it. All of a sudden, it's more about keeping up with the laws of the elders than it is obeying the laws of God and responding to God because he loves them and has tried to protect them. So I was trying to think just what's an easy example to show, and bear with me for the ridiculous example here. But So if God's law said, man is not allowed to step off of this stage, ridiculous, bear with me, um, okay that's God's law there's a reason he did it, it protects his people glorifies himself but the, the Jewish elders would, would add in well not only can you not step off the, the stage but we're going to add to it you're not allowed to come within three feet of the edge of the stage because then you might accidentally step off even so we're going we're gonna to protect God's law by adding to it and all of a sudden okay so now you're not allowed within three feet of the edge of the stage but then they would say well if you look over the stage too much, you might be tempted to get too close and you might then fall over. So, it's against the law to even look over the edge of the stage for more than 3 minutes or 3 seconds or whatever. Like all of a sudden people get so wrapped up in not doing that and doing all these things, they don't even know the intent, the initial law or the intention of it. We've asked kind of going through the Old Testament, what is the what is the reason for the law? Why was this law given? And these people could have never gotten there because they would not have known the law. They were so caught up in these traditions, these these rules to live by. I think the opposite is true as well. I think that sometimes that, okay, so anyone who's been in any sort of high school youth group talk um, about the S word that, the sex talk that we have in, in youth group, Make sure that you're... um, Asking the question of how close is too close is always the wrong question to ask. How close can I get to sinning and not sin? That's always the wrong question. It's never the, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Like, that's always the wrong question to ask. But that doesn't mean we add to God's law. It doesn't mean we, we do all these things to insulate the law in order to make sure we don't break it. Because what this had turned into for the people, what it had turned into was just this all these external acts that they thought they were doing to get by, all these external acts that they could accomplish without knowing truly the heart of God. And I think they'd actually gotten to a point where they were so focused on the external laws that they had built, all the external fluff protection. That some of those same laws are actually breaking God's commands. So listen, listen to Jesus' response. So there the people ask, why are his disciples not keeping the, the commandments of the elders, the tradition of the elders? Listen to Jesus' response. This verse 3. He says, He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what, would, what, would, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandment of man. Talk about a good comeback. But what we see is what was happening was, it's always been, I mean, you look at the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. They'd always taken this very seriously, as I think that we still should, of honoring your father and mother. It was, their, it was the children's responsibility to take care of mom, take care of dad, when they were no longer able to financially support themselves or physically support themselves. It was then the duty of the kid to honor their mother and father, to, to provide for them, to take care of them. But what, the, what they had done went by with, with them trying to add to the law, trying to add all these things was they had said that actually with all your possessions, you could actually just dedicate it to God. You could say that all this is God's. All your possessions in my house, all this is God's. But I'm going to keep it here. But if he needs it, it's his. And then as soon as it came time to provide for mom and dad because they needed something, they'd say, well, everything I have is actually God's, so I can't give it to you. What you would have given again from me is given to God. Do you see the problem? <laughs> like, while saying that all this is God's, they're actually disobeying one of the Ten Commandments. If they knew any those, they should have known Those. Jesus has some pretty strong words. One of the names he calls them. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. They were so worried about the external things that they were missing the heart of it. And I think it's really easy to start Bashing church tradition and and all these extra things that we do that we're comfortable with that we're used to. I don't necessarily think that's what he's doing but I think we're also going to be very careful about whether we're worshiping church tradition or whether we're worshiping God as revealed in his word. And I think it starts to it gets really difficult for me. I've never liked I don't think it's wrong that some churches have two worship services, traditional and contemporary. Don't think that's wrong, but it just makes me feel uneasy. Because I really think that really comes from a heart of, I can only worship to Hillsong, or I can only worship to Amazing Grace played by a piano. And I think that comes just from the wrong heart. Like, we're not worshiping to that music. We're not worshiping to a certain kind of instrument. Like, we're worshiping God who is worthy, who has given us words to sing. And, like, it's the heart. Like, it makes me uneasy because I think that reveals there's something more that God needs to change in us. The Protestant Reformation, for those that don't know, was just was the break from the Roman Catholic Church. So... Until then, 500 ish years ago, there's just the one, the Roman Catholic Church. Martin Luther, some other guys are very well known for this, but it was all centered on this one idea of Scripture alone as authority. They said that no, the church has gotten to a place where they're, they're focusing on so much more than just Scripture, they're not relying on just Scripture. And I think what we've seen is that the Roman Catholic Church often has, because, yes, yeah, said that the scripture is inspired, scripture is perfect, but so is church tradition. What I read was that as recent as John, Pope John Paul II, which he died in 05, I didn't look that up, they, the, the, here's what the Catholic Church affirmed. That divine revelation of the gospel is transmitted in two forms, sacred scripture and the teaching tradition of the church. Most traditions that are done in the church are done to glorify God, are are rooted in the gospel. But it becomes very dangerous when we start holding those to the same spot of scripture. Because when put side by side, like, Scripture has to win every single time. And what was happening was these Pharisees, the, the Jewish laws, the traditions had actually, in some cases, been elevated above the actual, before, above actual Scripture. And I think that we're prone to be there. Not as, not as externally, not something we'd ever say, But we focus on the external too often, I think. Kind of in the same thought, I'm going to continue. So Jesus calls the people to himself. And then verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up, let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But when Peter said to him, but Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thought, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I think we start to see that, like, the, the root of what is kind of going on with these Pharisees. Because if you've been here through most of what we've been going through, Matthew, right at a year by over a year by now. We see we keep saying that, that we're not concerned just about external actions, that Jesus is teaching that he's not concerned just about external actions, but about our heart. As we were in Matthew 5, going through the Sermon on the Mount, we saw that Jesus said that not only is murder wrong. But if you hate your brother, it's the same as if you murdered him. Not only is sexual immorality wrong, but if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same thing. And we keep seeing that, that Jesus wants so much more. He's teaching there's so much more than just this external obedience. There's so much more than just saying, all right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. That's, that's what's going to show that I'm following you. And Jesus keeps saying there's so much more than that. I really think that a big thing here is Jesus is teaching, he's, he's attacking religion, or the structure of it. He's saying if you're worried about the external, if, you're worried, if the external is all you're worried about, there's some sanctification that needs to happen. I think it's kind of funny that, that Peter... Or the disciples come up to him and say, Did you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Like, it makes me chuckle. Like, because what other response would they have? Like, this is this, this kind of teaching that the reason why they tried to kill Jesus and they, they killed Jesus because he continually offended them, because he was preaching exactly against this whole structure that the Pharisees had built on the laws and the sur- that was surrounded by what they were doing by doing X, Y, Z. He, called, he said, you hypocrites. And then he said that the prophet Isaiah was actually talking about them when he made that um, prophecy. I think the, the Pharisees would have been the most like, respected group of people. I tried to think of like, how that would correlate here, and I just couldn't do it. If you have any ideas... Mentioned to me later. But I think even the disciples would have held them in high regard. And I think they're even saying, Jesus, did you know these people that you just offended? These are not people that you normally try to offend. But Jesus was calling them out because not only were they in sin, not only were they super confused, but as Pharisees, as teachers of the law, their sin was leading others astray because they're guides. Their role was to teach. Their role was to lead. Their role was to be models. And they were leading people astray. What does Jesus say? He says, They are blind guides. Every plant that my heavenly Father is not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Okay, so and many of you know this, but my mother is legally blind. She can see, just not super well. Um, never, she's never driven, never um, been able to do a lot of things that we take for granted. And the way I grew up was when you're in public, when you're walking across the parking lot, when you're going upstairs, when you're in a crowded environment, she's lashed onto someone's arm. You never realize how many steps and how many things are so par- poorly marked. Concrete blends in with itself when there's not the fancy little yellow lines. But when she was holding on, she was at the total mercy of whoever was leading her. She, she would follow whoever was leading. She follows whoever is guiding her. And all of a sudden, when I'm being the leader, when I'm being the one she's holding on to, it's very quick. You're very quick to recognize things that I normally take for granted. You're extra careful. You're, You're looking ahead. You're looking down. When I walk, we have to look where we're going, not look where we're at. And all of a sudden, that changes when you're leading someone who can't see. But if she stumbles, if she trips on a step, if she runs into something... That's on the guide. But if I walk into a big hole, a pit, that's on, the, that's on me. She's going to come with me. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying. That the, the, the Pharisees are in this role of teaching. They're in this role of leading. People are following them. The whole Jewish religion is following the Pharisees as the teachers. And I think that's why Jesus continually has such harsh words to say, such real words, such tr- true words to say about them. He says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. He read back in Matthew 13, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, that until the end, there's the, there's the wheat and the weeds growing up side by side. There's, there's Christians and non-Christians side by side. They look a lot alike. Because the external actions look a lot alike. Hearts that haven't been changed can externally often look the same because they still can come to church. They still can pray. They still can do all the right things. They can go do things with the church. But Jesus says, at the end, there's going to be that separation, and you're going to be able to tell the difference. And he tells his disciples just leave them alone. But then his disciples asked for some more clarification. let me read verse 17 through 20. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. These are the things that come out of people, regardless of external actions. The evil queen, no matter how hard her actions try to show she's good, she continue, continually tries to change and be different. But each and every time she's squeezing, each and every time there's something difficult, What comes out? Evil thoughts, murder, all all those things that are listed. The external following of the law doesn't mean that people's hearts are changed. Merely coming to church, merely coming to CG, singing songs, doing church things, Doing things that we've always done because that's what the church does. That doesn't equal heart change. The Old Testament law demanded the sacrificial system of sin it means they came, they had to come and sacrifice to atone for that sin. And what had happened was that it become that's all it had become. This system that they were doing, sinning, sacrifice, sinning, sacrifice. They would become this. It had become this callous thing that there was never the brokenness over the sin. There was never the, any sort of rejoicing in the fact that God was granting them mercy through this system. But there was never a heart change. And this was continually an issue. And that's where the Pharisees still were. In Hosea 6.6, 6, this is God speaking to his people who are continually unrepentant. We've heard this verse a lot. It reads, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus, when being criticized by the Pharisees back in Matthew 9, quoted this same thing. He said, You guys are so concerned with with keeping these laws that you've made that you don't love me. Because Jesus was going and hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with tax collectors. He was calling Matthew, this tax collector, as one of his disciples. And yet, the pe- people, the Pharisees, the most religious-looking people, his heart, their heart was in the wrong place. And I think you always see this in people that are continuing to desire to follow a religion instead of follow Jesus. Because I think following a religion is easy. There's, I say easy, but there's laws that you follow. Check, 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 check. Did that, did that, did that. It's so easy to be there. And I think that's our danger. I think that's the danger that, that Jesus is warning about. He said, You're so concerned about external things. You're so concerned about things, food making you unclean, that your hearts are far from me. Your guides, your your teachers are are leading you the wrong way. I think external actions will come from a changed heart. Absolutely. We worship because God has changed a heart. We go to church to worship because God has changed our heart. But we don't do the external things because I mean, we merely think that that's what God wants. And I think that hardened hearts, I said this earlier, are so easily masked and hearts that are resistant to the true gospel are masked with these external things we do. We try to do all the right things because we don't want to truly be changed. We don't want to truly just be totally changed by the gospel. And I think that it's so tempting to do that because the external things are things we can do. We can come to church. We can get in our car on Sunday mornings. We can go to church on Sunday nights. We can do these things. We can obey the rules. We can not eat certain things. It's all based on things that we can do. Things that we're capable to do. But the gospel focuses on one thing that we're incapable, incapable, sorry, incapable to do. And that's change our heart. That is be forgiven from the sin that's in our heart. Hosea 6 6 said that, that God is desiring not sacrifice, not burnt offerings, not, not external law following, but steadfast love. It comes to that, the knowledge of God. Since we've been in Matthew, we've gone back and talked about Ezekiel numerous times. I think Tanner's grown a love for Ezekiel through this whole process. But. What, something that Ezekiel says time and time again is the same thing. God's saying, I'm going to do all this in you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to create you. I'm going to create you people from this, regardless of the people that you were. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. We've read this verse. This is God speaking. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The statutes and rules only comes after the spirit. Only as God is changing our hearts, as the spirit is in us, that's where the external following God. That's when that happens. The Pharisees tried so hard to be perfect, so hard to to do this and that. They tried so hard to do all these things, and all it had done was continue to build up their pride, continue to, to build them up thinking they're doing this. And Jesus is saying, no. I'm here to do this. But when you think you're doing it, it's really hard to see that Jesus is the only one who can. And I think that was building up their pride, building up, they were just rooting themselves deeper and deeper into sin. And I think what we see is our need, our need has always been for God to cleanse our hearts. It's never been for us to cleanse our actions, it's never been for us to wash our hands. As he's saying, that's not what it's about. It's not about following these laws in order to prove why we're Christian. Or somehow do all these things trying to prove why Jesus saved us, why he should have died for us. Because, look, God, I'm doing this, this, this. That's why. No. And I think that's continually a danger. We respond, we worship. We come together as the body of Christ because of what Jesus has done, the way that he's working, not trying to show Jesus that we're responding. Look, this is why you saved us. So we, because we do all these things, that's not true. And before we respond, I just I just want to ask some questions that I think we're really quick to answer. But don't be quick to answer, please. I really want you to think about it. What are you trusting in salvation? Like, what are you trusting in for salvation? Speaking to the church, to the believers, to the people that say, yes, I'm following Jesus. What are you trusting in for salvation? Is it Jesus? Jesus is, it's only been Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus did this. I had zero capability to do this. or is it well but i still have to do this i still have to respond with the good works i still have to i still have to pray i still have to go to church i still have to be involved in this or is that our response to how good jesus is to is that our is that our worship response but but what are you trust in for salvation And then what is our response to the gospel? The gospel that says that we need to be saved from ourselves, saved from our sins, saved from our hearts that need to be changed. What, what is our response? Is it, is it worship? Is it thanksgiving? Is it brokenness over our sin, but then rejoicing in the fact that God, for some reason, still sent Jesus to die for us even in our sin? Or is our response, well, well, God, I'm going to show you what I can do. Is our our response just these external actions? Because I think that doesn't come from a changed heart. I think as God does something only he can do, that's where our response has to flow from. I think this is really cool when I didn't ask Tanner for the set list, anything. I don't know if he planned. I don't know. It always seems to work out this way. As they were practicing earlier, the song we're going to sing says that Jesus came for every Pharisee. He came from every hypocrite. Like, Jesus saved us so we wouldn't have to do these things. We wouldn't be forced to do these things for salvation, but he came and did all that for us. And our response is just like the disciples last week that says, you are the son of God and we worship. We don't worship tradition. We don't worship the things we do. We don't worship actions. We don't even try to somehow please God with our actions. But we worship because he's worthy. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for salvation. Thank you that that you worked in a way that only you could, that in a way that we are incapable to accomplish by ourselves. Father, you didn't leave it to us to to do enough good things. You didn't leave it to us to to come to church enough times, to to pray enough times every day, to read X amount of the Bible every day. You didn't leave it to us to try to accomplish this by ourselves. But you gave us a promise that you were going to send your spirit to change us and that it's something that you said you would bring to completion. God, thank you that you came to save us from ourselves, from our, from our desires, from our, just our sin. No matter how hard we've tried in the past, no matter how much we've tried through our external actions to please you, Father, you've saved us from that. And through, in spite of our sin, in spite of us being no different than the Pharisees, even then you came, you died. Father, allow us to feel this. Allow us to worship. I just ask you continue just to change our hearts. Allow us to see how it's just all you and how you continue to work in this way that only you can, and that we might worship. Father, cause us to respond. Cause us to see how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen.